Father, help us. Thank you for all that's going on. Thank you for the goodness of baptism. Thank you for the beauty of Holy Communion. Thank you for the gift of people uh, giving so we could um, put a new floor in this great and holy sanctuary you built many years ago. And thank you for the gift to keep on going and doing your work in this community. As I open your word now, as many of us have heard this familiar passage, give me the grace to, uh, and give us all the grace to see the signs of the times, to see that this isn't an antiquated message which is merely 2,000 years old, but let us see, us see it as an ancient message which has come from heaven so that we might pick up our cross and follow your son all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, again, here we go. Let's dig in briefly before we get to the Lord's table. Let me open this electronic Bible and see where we're at. Housekeeping is done. Layla read a small passage of scripture. We'll be there in other places this morning. And the whole point this morning is for us, hopefully, to allow Jesus to continue. It's a continual thing. It, Christianity is not a pill where you take it and you go to heaven and by golly, forget about the rest. We know that. Some of us have grown up in churches like that and then questions come, usually in youth ministry, like, how come my parents aren't any different than when they accepted Jesus 20 years ago? That's a real question, by the way. I was like that for a short period of my life. I took the pill, I'm going to heaven, and I was the same Dave. Philosophically and theologically, we have questions at that point. Because if I profess with my mouth that Jesus rose from the grave in power and glory and splendor, but my life following him hasn't changed in 10 years, then comes into the question, two questions really. Is Jesus' resurrection real and powerful? Or the converse is, does Dave really know Jesus? <laughs> Because Dave, me, can't really know Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, and the one who forgave sins, and the one who says, follow me, and the one who's instructed me to follow him, if I don't change. And that's where largely, in my mid-twenties, I became disenfranchised with my own faith, and I'm not disparaging anybody, but all I saw with Western, American, middle-class largely Anglo, that's the culture I was raised in, white Christianity was take a pill at summer camp, be a nice person, and hopefully you wind up in heaven one day. And that is just religion, and we talked a lot about that. Jesus, in his teaching, why we continue to go over this right now, because I think it's pertinent for us and our church and our culture, is he is continually, day after day, as we read our scriptures, as we pray, as he's taught us to pray, as we try by grace to walk in the statutes he's given us, he continues to reorient our hearts to his way. So what I'm trying to say, I said it about eight months ago, there are no expert disciples. If a man or woman is trying to encourage you with life or philosophy or coaching and spirituality, and they say to you, I've got this discipleship of Jesus perfected, Kindly, as we're supposed to say, thank you, don't call me, I'll call you. Because we don't want to walk in that model. 
that type of elitist arrogance, especially in the spiritual realm, we've seen throughout history, damages people and is actually the spirit of antichrist. It's not the antichrist. They're not the antichrist, but it's the spirit of the air where I got this thing whooped. And if you encounter some of your friends or Christians where there's a divide, go ahead and read the Sermon on the Mount with them. Just open up Matthew 5 through 7 and say, let's have a chat. I want to know what you think about this. So Jesus continues to reorient us. And we don't see it unless we see the reorientation as radical. I mean radical. So he talks about loving enemies and not retaliating. We've talked through that. He talks about neighbors. And I appreciate Layla's prayer about neighbors because those people are neighbors and we're to love them well. And Jesus in coming, and I missed this the first time, that's why you're getting into a year later, he qualifies things for us. How many of you, I want everyone to raise their hand so no one feels less out. So I'm going to close my eyes, everyone raise their hand. Everyone raise their hand. How many of you love God? Good. We're all here. Okay, that's what I do. Okay, we're good. We're good. That's good. Good. Jesus in coming Remember what we believe here, and Christians believe, God cannot contain himself solely to the pages of a book, but that book and those accounts and those stories which are true show us to the written word become flesh, Jesus Christ, and he's come, and he's fulfilled all the Old Testament law, and in fulfilling, what does he do? He qualifies some things for us, and hear it, reorients some things. That's what he's doing. When he says things like, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you, he isn't crushing the law. He's reorienting the human heart to see the law as how it was intended to be given. And then what does he do? He fulfills the law, and we heard it all last year, by raising the standard. That's reorienting us. For us not to go, do you believe this Jesus guy? Caleb, I can't do that. No, in fulfilling the law, it actually opens our heart, exposes it for what it is, helpless. My heart's helpless most of the time. Draws me close to God, a wonderful father, who, when I draw close to him, tells me to call him Abba, who's my father. Though he's just and righteous and perfect, he doesn't hold on to that, hear me, like American politicians. They'll remind you of it every day. You know how God reminds me of his justice and beauty? Hey, Dave, why don't you drive to Yosemite in the spring? <laughs> hey, Dave, why don't you hear the newborn cry of your, how old is she now, three and a half, four? In various ways, is what I'm, when I open his scriptures, when I get close to his son, I'm constantly reminded of how good he is and perfect and righteous. So Jesus in coming is reorienting me to that. Because how were you and I raised largely? I know there's lots of cultures in here. That's a great thing, right? But the American culture, as I said two weeks ago, has shaped us in certain ways. Even if you've come here from another country, some other folks, have your guard up. Because there's 
many wonderful things about America. Say amen. It's a good place. It's one of the best that's been tried in humanity. We have our shortcomings. Yes, we do. Let's work on them. But one of the things that especially my generation was raised was, was the American dream is still alive and well. My generation and a few younger folks, some of them are traveling, it's kind of morphed into still work hard and make sure life and the universe tends to revolve around you. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go read a few articles about high schoolers and under with their technology. And so I only say that not to judge or disparage, but that's how we live now. And it is so easy for us to hear what Jesus said, hear his teaching and beckoning and reorient, reorient to God, to, to see the world right, to see truth, and then to get sucked in and consumed back to the places where we live. When, have you, when you go to work tomorrow, maybe when you leave this facility, this church, maybe when you go back to your place or go have lunch with friends or family, there's an immediate I know Jesus said this, I'm trying, and then we're just almost consumed with the spirit of the air. Paul talks a lot about that spirit, the powers that be. Paul, St. Paul says, he blinds people all the time. And Jesus' message has never been truer about hear the heart of heaven, hear the heart of the gospel, hear what God is saying. Matthew 5 43, as I said, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, that just wasn't Old Testament language. That's the history of humanity, amen? <laughs> That's how humans act naturally. We don't start that way. Just read human history, but it gets that way. Neighbor, quickly. What's neighbor in layman's terms? Us, we're neighbors because we're at church together. Hi, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. I freaked her out. Hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. There we go. Hello, neighbor. Hello, dear neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Welcome back. Hi, neighbor. Why are they my neighbors? Don't get too over-theological. Because we're at the same church. We must believe some of the same things, right? Maybe a few. So we're neighbors. Am I to love Carol Hall? Yeah, she's here. She's like, I don't know. Yes, I'm going to love you, right? Next verse. Oh, stay there, stay there, stay there. Go back one, sorry. 43, 43. Who's my enemy? Don't answer out loud. That's dangerous. I guess there's some enemies to Christianity. I guess we could talk about that. Some people who don't like Christians and might want to harm them. I guess there's some enemies to our country and way of life, yeah? But what I mean by reorienting is Jesus is profound here. And we'll get there in a sec. Who's my enemy when I'm at a Giants game? The Dodger fans, okay. <laughs> Who was my enemy when Ashton had a little golf match yesterday? The kids from Los Altos. They weren't. They weren't my enemy. They weren't. I'm not saying that. Don't hear the pastor. What I'm getting at is Jesus speaks to the human condition. 
anyone not aligned with us becomes them. And over time, if we don't walk in forgiveness and mercy and grace over time, centuries, we say, you used to be them because you're not us. But now since us is a lot stronger (laughs) and there's lots of reasons, we're going to start to call you enemy. And again, if you don't believe me, read about some of the great empires this week. It's not a short read. (laughs) Do some research and see how they formed and see how they ruled. Why was Rome so good? If you weren't for Caesar, you were against him. I mean, good at occupying the world. And if you were against Caesar, guess what happened? If you were lucky, you became a slave and worked an average of 10 years because they worked you to death. Maybe that wasn't lucky. And if you weren't lucky, she's 13, she can handle it, you literally became a lamppost. They would execute you and then the light streets and make examples, they would then, and that happens over time. So Jesus, hear me in this part of the sermon, Jesus is not pontificating from Stanford University as a tenured professor with his second espresso macchiato of the afternoon. And God bless those professors. That's just their, that's where they live. Jesus is teaching this way, radically in this language, in and around the Sea of Galilee, near the holy city, as a masonry slash rabbi slash nomad with no place to lay his head under Roman occupation and rule. And Jesus says this, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Next verse. There's a reason most people heard Jesus teaching and said, I'm good. (laughs) I'm going to go back to my, in this context, my Jewish suburb, and we're going to figure out how to get rid of who? These Romans. See, when we see the scriptures, and when we hear writings from Josephus and other historians, and we see other biblical accounts, we can see the scope of the weight of what Jesus is saying. He is radical here. Jesus would feed people. It would taste really good. They would hang out. He would say things like this and other things, and they would go, I'm good. Call me when the next buffet is. Because what they understood hearing this was, wait a minute. Did you hear what he just said? Wait, I was, Paul, I didn't, that wasn't right. And Paul would go, no, he said that. We got to get rid of this guy. Because what's being unfolded here, Jesus is calling for his listeners and followers to be literally reoriented by his words and to see the kingdom and how the kingdom functions. Next verse. And we said a lot. Why? so we can do our Father's business. We can get real technical on the last part of that verse. There is evil in the world. I'll close with that. Jesus wasn't naive. There's wayward ways in the world, but God, our Father in heaven, shows no partiality in common grace. He allows the rain to fall on us and them, if there are those to him, that's a whole different theological word, word space. 
and he allows the sun to rise on the Romans and the Jews every day, even though Caesar at that time and the Romans largely opposed kingdom mentality. So this is very weighty. And this wasn't received well in and around the year 28 to 29 A.D., nor is it received well sometimes in my heart because I go, wow. Verse 46 and 47, then he just gives a practical example. We saw it. If you only love people who treat you well, you're just like the rest of humanity and you don't understand the ways of the kingdom. A little test case the Jesus way. This is a test case for my heart this last year and a half. Some of you probably have noticed, but this is the test case, the biblical test case of do I love God? Remember I asked you, everyone to raise your hand? We, we love God. We're at church. We're trying. Pastor, show me some things and help me walk this walk of pursuing and walking with Jesus and loving God. So here it is. Do you love God? Yes. What is, according to Matthew and Luke, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as thyself. You all know it almost. That's good. That's how we love God. So if you didn't notice, what Jesus did was he just put a litmus test on the greatest commandment. I love God. I'm going to love people. God, who should I love? My neighbors. We heard it prayed. It was beautiful. We should love us, right? Because you're my neighbors. We go to church together. We live in and around San Carlos together. But Jesus then tests my heart when he says, no, even your enemy is your neighbor. Go and love them. So Jesus blows out my snarky, lawyer-type mentality when I look for clauses. Anybody look for clauses in the Bible or in work or other places? We look for, okay, how can we? Yeah, that's a pharisaical heart and I do it. That's what the Pharisees did. But Jesus, by teaching in this way, in this setting, under the Roman Empire, he basically says, there is no more out clause to say, they're my enemy, I don't have to love them. Jesus, in fulfilling the law, says, no more. If we truly love God, he's talking to his followers, enemy has become neighbor. There's no more delineation. And the Spirit asked my heart, it's very easy to love my physical neighbors because they're great folks. It's very easy to love you guys because you are great folks. Say amen. That's about you guys. Oh, it's really silent in here. I got to reset the clock. <laughs> Jesus is calling me to love people whom in my psyche and down deep in my heart, I haven't transferred to us yet, but they are still them. And for many of us, that's a personal them. That's people who have harmed you deeply. Pastor's not up here being naive as a 41-year-old going, oh, just get over it. Pastor's imploring you, walk with Jesus. See his kindness, and over time, let him work on your heart and love you and encourage you and heal you. And in time, 
in grace, by God's mercy and his spirit alone, you will come out on the other side one day and go, what a rotten turkey on one level. But as we talked about three weeks ago, in this forgiveness and in this mercy and this acceptance of sin, real evil, I will take the blow per se, just like my Savior did on the cross for me, and I will endure. That's the kingdom. And Jesus was speaking to an occupied people under, I know the gentleman from North Korea gets a lot of pub and his father, under a brutal dictator in the year 2830. And more would come, the Caesars. And Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom. This is the way. This is the path to peace. This is the beginning of everlasting what? Life. So that's where he's at. That's his litmus test. That's his test on loving and forgiving and walking. And though it's hard to receive that blow and move forward in the gospel of grace. Jesus could say this because he was divine. I'll answer maybe a, a quick, in my own head, maybe a quick little tidbit. Was Jesus naive or stupid? It's there. Hey, Paul, I know that Roman soldier embarrassed you in front of your family and took 80% of what he should. I'm asking you to forgive him and not call him enemy. And Paul's natural reaction would be what? Are you stupid, Jesus? And that's fair. How am I going to make my livelihood? How am I going to feed the kids? How am I going to not get hurt when I want to protest? And Jesus would literally say, I have come from heaven. I'm asking you to trust me by faith. And that's where the rubber meets the what? Road. Jesus, I don't believe, is angry when we buck up in our naturalness. I think he gets it. Just go to John 2 when he went to his father's house. And people were, oh my gosh, the elite, there's a lot of parallels here, but I'm not going to get political, or I'm just going to go, I'm going to walk. The elite were doing something legal by ripping off the middle class and the poor. That's all I'm going to say. You put on the, you do, you do what you got to do. We're in church. Jesus shows up and says, literally, I'm okay for you helping people out because people shouldn't have to take animals 60 miles, but why are you charging 10 times the price? Don't do that. And he makes a whip and he raises tables and he says, my father's house is to be a place for worship and prayer. You've made it into a den of robbers to the Pharisees. So he gets this, but then he says, trust me, son, daughter, there is a better way. Let me reorient your heart and mind to the way of the kingdom. And he does this over and over and over again. He wasn't naive, he wasn't stupid, but he was divine. Jesus himself knew the reality of Satan and the spirit and the prince of the air and evil. Jesus understood the cruelty of humanity at times, cruelty. Jesus saw it growing up. As I said a year and a half ago, there was a great revolt, maybe when Jesus was six or seven years old in a town 15 miles over. The Romans crushed it and crucified approximately 2,000 people. And historians tell us that, not to get too graphic, you could smell the aftermath for six months. 
Let's just say it that way. So Jesus understood where he was. At the end of John 2, he says, I'm not giving myself over to mankind because I know what they are. There will be a time for that when he fully would. Paul understood this language. Romans 12, 17, repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends, live peaceably with all. Don't be a lawyer. Don't quantify if possible. I'm gonna make a large general blanket statement. If it wind up on YouTube, I get hate mail for six years, okay? Most of us, I just qualified it so I can get out of it, as Americans can live peaceably in our context, right? Most of, I know there's some situations, but most of us can. So don't qualify that in our lawyer speak. Next verse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Don't qualify that either. See the first part of the verse. God says, vengeance is mine. God will deal with everyone justly. Don't always dwell on that. That's my heart too, by the way. Some of you guys who think that way. Oh, I can't wait till God gets them. We missed the message. We missed the message. The message is, God will say what is right and wrong. He always does. Leave that to who? Him. Three weeks ago, we actually saw Pray for those for forgiveness who've done these things and let God be God, okay? God says, really says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Next verse. To the contrary, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Why? Because our enemy is now who? My neighbor. Jesus qualifies that. If he is thirsty... Give him something to drink. For by so doing, here's Proverbs coming to reality, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, Paul and Jesus are great. Paul understands what's going on, but he gives us a, a, a slight room for humanity, right? Come on, let's hear it for Paul. He gives us a little bit of room to be human. And you guys are smiling, so I know you understand it. If we do not repay evil with evil, if we try to forgive, if we try and walk that cross-bearing way, Part of God's vengeance is, you know what part of God's vengeance is? When our enemy, who is now our neighbor but has sinned against us, God will deal with them in the same kind of way he dealt with the enemy, Satan and evil and death. I don't have time to get into it. Why is Satan so mad at you and me? Christ came for us, not him. That's part of God's wrath. Satan's left out. I know it's big. We can talk about that over coffee. Come see me. But that's big, okay? In the same way when we don't repay evil with evil, that person, I guarantee it, whenever they're honest with themselves, in the bathroom, driving alone, usually lonely and miserable. That's how those people end up sometimes, right? Pray for them. They go, in some moment of levity or lucidity, they go, I'm a jerk. I can't get to them the way I used to. I was with them. Then the beautiful redemption story is maybe 10 years later, they do come to the knowledge of Christ. They begin to believe, and they come back to you and say, brother, sister, forgive me. I was awful. 
And Jesus isn't naive. You don't have to have a fairy tale life with that. You can simply say, you are what? Forgiven. And I think Jesus would also say, have a nice life if we want to at that point, right? Again, Jesus, the weight of this is so heavy because where he's preaching, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, under severe oppression. Last, and we'll get communion. So music team in about two minutes. Jesus on the cross, by willingly sacrificing his life, cast evil and Satan out forever. That is available to all who believe, repent, and walk by faith. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom work. Our world, even some of Christianity, doesn't understand that or doesn't get it yet. Hamilton's a big deal in our house right now, the musical, because I have a teenage daughter. And really, there are actually some good songs. Get the clean version. There's a few words, just a few, but get the clean version. It's wonderful. It tells a story, in a lot of ways, of the American Revolution to hip-hop and jazz. It's pretty remarkable. One of our founding forefathers, George Washington, how did he cast the Redcoats out? You guys remember? It was ingenious, and he beat him to a pulp, and he made the war cost a bunch of money, and basically he fought and fought and fought. Jesus fought the same way, but his method of war was completely different. Jesus Christ put a cross on his back, went to Calvary, willingly laid down his life, opened himself to the justice and wrath of the Father as well as all evil, the most evil thing human beings can do, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. By doing that, by going to the grave, and by being resurrected again, Jesus Christ gave you and I the choice. Do I want to, in my ethic, in my religion, in my relationship with my spouse and family, do I want to fight like George Washington, whom I honor, or do I want to fight like Jesus Christ? There it is. That's it. And this pastor won't disparage you but I'm learning, by grace alone, to try and side with Jesus more and George Washington less. And I'm in process. Amen. And I'm here to help you and help all of us along that way. Because there is a way. It's a heavenly way. It's a gospel way. It's a Jesus is king way to say no more to that. By your goodness and grace and your word, reorient my heart and mind and let me walk with you I'll try and walk in forgiveness and grace. I will take some of the blow when I offer forgiveness. I get it. It's hard. It's painful. You actually are doing for something what they can't do for themselves, just the way Jesus did for me. And though we, sometimes we take two steps forward, a half step back, Christ is there, and he will walk with us. We're going to take communion. Communion is the symbol of the place where this new life was purchased and made reality. Our Savior went to the cross, willingly laid down his life, and for those who believe, and I know belief sometimes is a process, I get you, don't, don't hear me say something I'm not. 
this is the gateway to our salvation. And hear me, hear your pastor's last words. Salvation isn't in 45 years for some of us. Salvation is today. Eternal life is the goodness that we see when we see the Lord for who he is and what he said, and we begin to walk in those statutes. I promise you, and I'm done, if you can rely on God's grace and God's mercy and God's power to take the burden and truly forgive someone and by his grace see people going from them to us in our small lives and our greater life, this will be a suburb of heaven. And that's what we want our church to be, right? A suburb of the divine by God's grace. I'm going to pray. Music team, come on up. Again, we'll take the elements together. I believe the tray has both elements. We'll pass them. Please take the bread and cup. After the song, I'll come up and lead us in communion. And after that, we'll be dismissed. This is good news, folks. I need a few smiles. I went over 11. That's why you guys are frowning. I get it. I get it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this wonderful teaching and model and Savior and Lord and King who's come. Thank you that he's never asked us to do something he already hasn't done. Thank you for, again, the wonderful baptism this morning. Thank you for the gift of communion. Be honored now as we worship in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.